I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. And welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks, and I'm joined by the Lisa Stansfield to my Jay Stansfield. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. I've been around the world and I, I, I've been trying to find a striker and Birmingham have finally found one. More about him later on. First of all, Justin, how's it hanging? It's hanging incredibly well. I was going to do a completely different response to that then i was completely rattled there <laughs> but now hanging hanging great thanks right how are you how, how's it hanging for you <laughs> yeah you know what i'm hanging pretty well myself oh dear what a disastrous start to the podcast welcome to the number one championship podcast the second tier thank you for joining us wherever you are yes another Roller coaster weekend of championship games. Plenty of action for us to get our teeth right into. So, we'll talk about that, talk about some of the news from the past few days as well, including some heroics from a certain Luco 9 on a beach. More on that a bit later on. Still getting my head around that story. And then we'll finish off with Simon Grace and Take for Late right at the end. So, we'll begin with the game of the weekend at Portman Road. Ipswich 3, Leeds United 4. An incredible game. Five goals in the first half alone. Result really could have gone either way. And just a breathtaking 90 minutes of football, Justin. It really was. And, and dare I say it, the cliche, a good advert for the championship. You've got to say that. Got to get that one in, get that one in there. I think, it's, I think it's even more impressive the fact that Ipswich have only conceded once in the last nine home games as well. So for this to happen, for this openness of um, of a game to, to to play out was was incredible. And I think it goes to show how much of a transformation leads look when they've got a fully available front line because they were scintillating going forward at times. So were Ipswich. It was a really good end-to-end game, a basketball game to throw another cliche in there. It really was. And we got we asked Leeds fans for their three-word reviews on Twitter. Cal said, we are back. Kane on Twitter summed it up by saying, the front four. And the front four certainly were a big positive here, weren't they? It's the first league win of the season for Leeds, who have finally got that ball rolling. And as I say, plenty of positives to take away from it from a Leeds perspective. Joel Pirro got a debut goal. Jorginho Ruta got his first goal after his £36 million move in January. What a goal as well. That's been a long time coming. <laughs> Willie Donto scored despite... Everything going on with him, and I imagine you were quite pleased with that one, Justin. <laughs> yeah, took that one to the heart. I think I was, I was really, I was proud of him. I, I don't know him; he doesn't know me. I'm not related to him, but I was proud because he, you know, it's a big middle finger to, to people like you who were extreme in their views of kicking him out of the club because he, you know, was was giving poor advice. So yeah, fun, fun, thumbs up to to William Onto there. Interesting that you're completely absolving him of any blame. Yeah whatsoever yeah, he's a child right mm. he's a child mm. leave him be okay 
I mean, he literally went on strike because he didn't <laughs> want to play for the club anymore. But, you know, there you go. You stick to your own. Um, well, despite the turbulent chaos of the past few months, it seems like there is a team coming together at Leeds United, Justin. They've hurriedly been trying to get their ducks in a row and it's taken a bit of time for that to happen. But it seems like we're getting to a stage now where we know what the team Leeds team will look like when the transfer window closes in less than a week's time when it wasn't very clear for a long time. And you know what? That team's looking pretty good as well. Joel Pirro up front, I think, is an excellent signing. Certainly won't be a bad thing if Jorginho Ruta is finally finding some form as well. On the wings, Luis Sinistera, Willy Nonto, Crescencio Somerville. Looks as if at least two of those will be staying now. And they've also been linked with bringing in another winger. Ethan Ampadu and young Archie Gray both have been excellent so far in midfield. And if they can bring in someone else like Lewis O'Brien or Bayer Leverkusen's Nadima Miri, who they've also been linked with, then I'm foaming at the mouth at that midfield. And then, you know, defence is a bit of a concern still, but I will continue to fly the flag for Charlie Cresswell starting more games. I will die on that hill. Overall, though, I am beginning to really like the look of this Leeds squad. If everyone's fully committed, I'm sure Leeds will start moving in the right direction once again. Not necessarily fully fit, but just all heading in the same direction and pulling the same same chain as it is. I don't think it was an amazing performance, but I do agree with you. This was a blueprint of what Leeds can do in the final third if it all clicks quite nicely. Yeah, there was a lot of quality to the goals. You look at Rutter's goal, the individual aspect of it was 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 superb. And then Byram's cross for the Nonto goal was was brilliant as well. Gray was 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 fantastic with that big switch to Sinistera for the third. There was a lot of quality in what Leeds could do and there's a swagger at times as well. Um and as I say, I don't think it was a great performance, but it was a nice indication of what can happen when it all comes together. Um so I think Daniel Farquhar will look at this and go, yep, yeah, went at our best, but if we do get to our best, crikey, we can be a really good team in this division. Yeah, and I think you'll look at this and say this is the first step in us going in the right mm-hmm. direction again because it has been, a, without a doubt, a chaotic few weeks and the first three games left a lot to be desired. But this, against a really good Ipswich team, I think will leave a lot of people very excited about how Leeds could go this season because it was certainly looking a bit concerning, wasn't it, initially? Mm-hmm. Ipswich sceptics may be looking at this and be thinking this is the Ipswich tractor, Ipswich are going up tractor stalling, but... I don't think that's the case at all. They could have very easily won this one. It was as good a team performance you can put in while still conceding four goals and losing, in my view. It's only their first league defeat since January, which is pretty remarkable in itself. So I see this as nothing but a small bump in the field, which is easily dealt with because, after all, it's a tractor. What do you think, Justin? (laughs) A small bump in the field. I think tractors can deal with bumps, but I think... You know, you're looking at going over a potential sort of rock uh, for it to be an inconvenience for it. But I think, I, I mean, I, I'll say the same thing. It's a bit of a coming back down to earth performance from it, which there were positives for sure. But the problems um, that lay in the game for them was the individual errors or the errors that preceded some of the defending for the goals. Left them with a lot of work to do and you cut those mistakes out, then sure, it's which maybe could have got a result. But what it does show is you can't make those sorts of errors in the championship because they're going to get punished. And especially when you come up against the quality of opposition that Leeds are, they're going to punish you. So I think it was one of those performances where, as I say, for um, uh, mistakes and, and poor poor decision-making got punished and left Ipswich with a with a mountain to climb. Again, I'm all the cliches today. I need to get it out. We've only been recording for five minutes. Not, not, a, good, mm. not a good start for me. 
Yeah, you're on fire with the cliches. Your bag of cliches has been very used already, hasn't it? I, I will admit, as huge a fan as I am of Ipswich under Kieran McKenna, they need an attacker or two before the window closes on Friday. They have been linked with Jesseron Raksaki from Palace, who scored a load of goals at Charlton last season. But I think they desperately need a striker too, because Raksaki is more of a winger into mm-hmm. as opposed to a as as opposed to a striker. I'm also not at all convinced about the keeper Kladki either. They they need Christian Walton back as soon as possible. I'm, I'm not sure when that'll be, but hopefully it won't be too soon after the international break. But look, I have been extremely impressed by Ipswich so far this season. They look so well coached. The next two games are against Cardiff and Sheffield Wednesday. So there's a strong chance of them starting the season with five wins from six, which is really impressive going, especially for a newly promoted team. So I'm still very hot on Ipswich, despite this loss. Norwich's incredible start continues. They beat Huddersfield 4-0. I find it quite mind-blowing how well Norwich have started this season. Just I just never expected this to happen. I don't think many expect it to happen. Obviously, when you go back to pre-season predictions, many were predicting Norwich to finish lower mid-table, mid-table, maybe a skirmish with the playoffs. But this start has been absolutely incredible. They look really well drilled. There's purpose in how they press. It's organised. They create a boatload of chances and individuals are really buying into into what David Wagner is is, is trying to implement, which is you know, a stark contrast to what it was last season under him because his form was sackable. But turnaround... It's there to be seen. It's there for us to admit that we we may have been wrong. Obviously, it's very early in this season to 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 admit that. I'm not I'm not going to apologise. It's not in my DNA to apologise for for being wrong for Norwich. Talk sport presenter Adrian Durham once pointed that out in a Twitter argument in in 2018. I'm never going to back down. I'm going to double down um, on it. But as I say, contrary to, to to what we think, they've been brilliant, and you've got to credit um, you've got to credit Wagner for getting the team getting the team in this position because. It looked like a far cry. Uh, it looked impossible from, from how the team finished last season. Yeah, well, you're not wrong at all. In my view, the two best teams in these first four games have been the two East Anglian sides, the East Anglian neighbours. <laughs> and from my perspective, Norwich have no right to have started this well. They were crap at the end of last season. And I don't think many Norwich fans would have been disappointed if David Wagner got sacked. They've lost... Some guys have been really big players for them over the years, like Timmy Puki and Max Aarons. Their recruitment this summer has been fairly bang average, hasn't really stood out at all. Their sporting director is either gone or going. Yet, here they are, second in the division, top of the division for expected goals. It doesn't really make any sense. And I will admit, I am quite sceptical about that form continuing, even more so now that Josh Sargent looks like he's going to be out for a while. I wonder if the goals may dry up a bit for them now because he has been in blistering form and surely Jonathan Rowe's amazing spell in front of goal has an expiry date on it. So we'll so we'll wait and see, but credit where credit's due. Norwich have been simply outstanding so far. I want to make the point that Adam Eder deserves a lot of credit as well, considering he's a player you've criticised over the last few weeks, previous episodes. You've been sceptical as to what he can achieve. No, you mean last season. Last few weeks, I haven't said much. Maybe not in the last few weeks, but pre-season, you were fairly critical of what he can achieve this season. Um, But he's got two goals and assists without starting a game so far. So you've got a player there who has been waiting patiently for his chance. And if Sargent's injury is as serious as it is, Adam Eady gets a run in the team alongside Ashley Barnes. There's there's clearly potential for goals there. So 
that blow to Sargent might not be as significant given considering um, Adam Eder's started the season so well as well. Let's go to Huddersfield, who are second from bottom, one point from their first four games. Also the lowest scorers in the division with two goals and the joint second most conceded with nine. This uh, battering against Norwich was not a good look for them and it came with the owner Kevin Nagel saying after the game that town supporters deserve better and that the squad is better than this. Is the squad better than this, Justin Peach? I would disagree with them now. I don't think it is. I think the squad's getting a result. It's it's getting. But if you look at the performances, I don't think the performances have been as shit as the results have been over the last few weeks, to be really blunt about it. You look at the first two goals in this Norwich game, really poor errors. You've got Matty Pearson with the foul, Nichols with the charge down and the, the short pass back as well. They've got key individuals making mistakes. And sure, that's where you can sort of maybe agree with Nate, uh, Nagel and say... Yes, there are too many mistakes being made by individuals, experienced individuals at the moment, but the squad isn't better than what it is now. It needs a lot of quality adding into it between now and the end of the transfer window, which is barely a week. So rather than maybe trying to get uh, supporters you know, on your side with, with statements like this, get busy in the transfer window, that will get them back, in, um, you know, back on side because it has been a poor transfer window, which is ultimately why results haven't been as good as performances have been. Well, we all know Neil Warnock is a magical being. However, <laughs> as we also all know, you only get so many spells when you meet a genie. And Huddersfield have already used up <laughs> one wish by getting him to save them last season. And from my perspective, I think it's ridiculous that the owner is saying the squad is better than it is. Huddersfield have the worst squad in the division last season, for my money. This summer, they've signed four players and one of them is a backup keeper. They've not done anywhere near enough business so far and there's got to be a comparison made with Birmingham who finished in a similar position to Huddersfield last season they've also got new owners in from the states they've come in transformed the club off the pitch signed nine new players spent a few million in the process they now sit third in the table they've come in set a marker for how ambitious they are it's been the complete opposite at Huddersfield the new owner has spent a lot of time tweeting and you know being all about the PR on social media I suggest that he needs to spend less time tweeting and put his money where his mouth is otherwise Huddersfield are going down because it's very alarming at how that squad's looking from my perspective less time tweeting more time spending get your checkbook out Kevin and put your phone away so pretty much that's that's exactly it well don't put your phone away because you need your phone to put in calls to sign players that's true otherwise Otherwise, we won't be can't able to rely on fax anyway. machines. Yeah, can't rely on fax we machines. We can't rely now. on letters, can we? So That's true. we need <laughs> you to keep your phone out, but maybe close the Twitter app or maybe just delete it for now and actually get out there and sign some players. Because just to be, be honest, if the Huddersfield squad stays as it is, can you see them staying up even though they have got Neil Warnock in charge? No, I, I think the performances, like I said, I do think the performances have been okay. They've been in the games that they've been in, but it's that shortfall in quality they're struggling with. So if it, you know, by that logic, if it stays the same, then they're going to still have those short forms in quality. So yeah, comp- yeah world-class advice from from the second tier to Kevin Argle here. If, if you need a director of football, we're available. I mean, our only advice at the moment has been to close Twitter, but we certainly can can help with signing players as well. It's a good start anyway. Um, Middlesbrough's, Middlesbrough's poor start to the season continued. They were beaten 4-2 away at West Brom. MFC Harry on Twitter said, what is happening? And Adam said, shite as usual. Um, good summaries from a Middlesbrough perspective. 
Um, Middlesbrough have failed to win in nine league games now. That's including last season, of course. Unfortunately, that flat end to last season in terms of results has undeniably carried over into this one, Hunter. Yeah, this is quite the hangover. You, you get some, you get these teams sometimes when they when they have a, a not a disappointing playoff com- campaign, but they 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 struggle in the playoffs and then they they fall away and it it seeps into the following season, especially if your transfer window isn't as active as it needs to be. So yeah, it's it, a lot of issues that they were struggling with last season uh, followed into this season, defending so so poorly as well. It's quite staggering how how passive they are defensively. You've got John Swift goal, for example. John Swift essentially walks up the pitch and unleashes a brilliant drive, but not engaged at all. So that was that was disappointing. But yeah, Michael Carrick's got his work cut out. I mean, the team are still creating chances. That's a positive, but yeah, it doesn't get you results. You need to you need to reduce opposition um, opposition quality. It's not doing it defensively. They're so poor, and yeah, this 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 start they've made is yeah. It's hard to find too many positives, even if you are creating chances. I would disagree with you there, Justin, because I think they haven't actually been playing badly at all. In fact, I think they've actually been playing quite well. They've actually won in terms of expected goals in their last three games, quite clearly in the case of the last two games. And this is a pretty mad stat for you. Middlesbrough have only faced 13 shots on target so far, but have conceded nine goals the joint second most in the division. On the flip side, they've had 15 shots on target and scored three, the joint second lowest in the division. So I just think they've been desperately unlucky and the results will come. The big concern is it's quite a reminiscent situation to last season Mm -hmm. when Chris Wilder was in charge. They were playing well, but results just weren't coming. And they only eventually did start coming when he got sacked and Michael Carricks came in. So... Hopefully, it won't be a like-for-like situation this season. Uh, I wouldn't recommend that, I've got to say. They've needed to sign players because the squad is undeniably weaker than it was at the end of last season. But Emmanuel Latte-Lath got a goal and looked sharp against West Brom. That's a big positive. Sammy Silvera, I think, has had a promising start in a Millsborough shirt. So there's plenty to be encouraged about. It's just about the fine margins I suppose with Borough which have really let them down in the first few games of the season I agree to an extent but as I say I I don't think they look like a team yet and when you do look like a team you defend a lot better than what Middlesbrough are putting out there at the moment I know they I know you're saying they've only faced 13 shots on target but they are conceding some really poor goals so I think if if Michael Carrick can fix those issues i.e. creating a better defensive unit so there's better controlling games then then maybe then maybe results will improve, but I just don't think um they've got enough in them to to turn it around. I think there's a lot of weaknesses that are showing for me. The the way that the heads went down, especially after that swift goal was was quite alarming. I think it was Isaiah Jones came on and was a real bright spark, but there was opportunities where he maybe could have played across, but there was a shot instead. There are just moments like that that are happening where the, the team's too individualistic for it to, to really be a complete unit. And I think that's where quite a lot of the results are, are coming in, where performances might be okay, but results are poor. So yeah, a lot of fixing needs to be done by Michael Carrick, but they could copy and paste last season. Are there any out-of-contract coaches out there at the moment that have been sat by Man United recently that... Maybe could come in Steve McLaren. He's at Manchester United at the moment. There could be get a him back. Hair get Islands him back. reunion. Hair Island. <laughs> <laughs> <God. laughs> 
get him back. Uh, him and Casper the Snake, get him back in at okay. Middlesbrough. That's what I want. Um, <laughs> such a rogue reference. It's unbelievable. Uh, let's talk about West Brom, Justin, because since Carlos Corbran took over last October, no team has won more championship points at home than West Bromwich Albion. I think we can both agree they look so much more confident at home. Haven't been dreadful away, but it's certainly been at home where West Brom have looked the real deal. When asked about signing players before the transfer window closes, Carlos Corbrand said after the game that he thinks West Brom's future in the competition depends a lot on this week. I'm not sure if he's insinuating West Brom could go down if they don't sign players <laughs> or whether it's just kind of something that's lost in translation. Um, whatever the case, he says they need to sign at least two players before the transfer window closes. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, it's a weird way of phrasing it. I think I'll, I'll point I'll point that one out there, sort of saying, you know, if you don't sign two players, we're gonna we're gonna completely go here with with disband the football club if I don't get two players, which it won't happen. I'm I'm certain of that. But um, yeah, weird, weird way of phrasing it for Corbett. I do agree with him. I do think they need more quality. It's just interesting where that quality is going to go because obviously Taylor Gardner Hickman left last week, which was a surprise to us. They probably need another centre half for my money. I think maybe more than two players is, is what they need. But you look at Matt Phillips in this game, I thought he was incredibly sharp. I know he was a big player for Corbyn last season until his, until his injury. Um, so there's there's that aspect. So I do think they've got quality and maybe it depends how you look at this team. I'd, I'd like to see another forward come in, but you've got DK lurking in his rehab. So if he comes back and hits the ground running, then do they need another forward? I don't know. There are a lot of question marks, but I do, yeah, I do agree with him. I do think they need additional firepower and, and maybe a little bit more at centre-half. But, performances like this where they do take the chances maybe do ease that pressure a little bit yeah I think West Brom's squad on paper is actually looking good it's nice fairly well rounded I think it's just lacking a bit of an X factor to make me really excited about them because yeah. that's what we were saying last week wasn't it? it all just feels a bit so-so with West Brom I think Jeremy Sarmiento looks quite an exciting player from what I've seen so far but other teams just have a bit more about them so in an ideal world, I'd like them to sign someone else who brings a bit more of an X factor, a bit more excitement into the team. Because you look at the teams who did get into the top six last season, they all had at least one individual who you go to and say, yeah, that guy's got it. But I think they could also do with a more clinical striker because I'm looking at Josh Maggia, Brandon Thomas Asante. Those guys mm -hmm. need a few chances to score goals. We keep wondering whether Daryl DK will be that man when he's back fit, but you know him actually being fully fit is—you've uh, got to cross your fingers quite dream. hard for that one to happen. So, of course, the thing is as well, West Brom is somewhat limited in what they can do in the transfer window because of financial matters. Having said that, Carlos Corbrand deserves to be sacked. Wow! <laughs> wow! <laughs> Let me say that again. <laughs> Carlos Cobran deserves to be backed because he's a very talented manager. So I hope he gets it in some form because he deserves to be backed. Uh, Jesus Christ, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? Um, oh dear. A 97th minute penalty gave Cardiff their first victory of the season, beating Sheffield Wednesday 2-1. Bit of a controversial decision so late in the game. I've seen it a few times, can't really... Make my mind up on that one. Whatever the case, it's another loss for Isco Munoz's boys. 
Remember when uh, Chancery was talking about Wednesday aiming for the playoffs? Well, they've now become the 12th team in Championship history to fail to get a point from their first four games. Curse you, Carlton Palmer. Uh, to be fair, I think this was probably Wednesday's best performance so far, but still, when do we press the panic button with Wednesday, Justin? Is your finger hovering over it? Have you already pressed it or have you not even taken the cover off of that button yet? I think my panic button's like a Bluetooth where it's not working. I've been pressing it for weeks. You know what oh, I mean? Okay. Yeah, You've been I'm, repeatedly pressing it. Yeah, why is, why is that? It's like an old person trying to press, I don't know, enter, and the laptop's not on. What's going on? It's incredible. Um, yeah, my, my, I, 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 I've been very critical of Visco, mainly because I just don't rate him as a coach. It's as simple as that. This was, as you say, an improved display, but considering things have been so poor over the last few weeks, there's not much... Yeah, how, how poor? How poorer can you be? They looked harder to break down, but they're coming up against a Cardiff team who have not started the season in the best of form. So, what what do you expect? The squad is poorly poorly balanced. It's threadbare. Quality quality isn't there to compete at this level. You'd argue that the squad isn't as there's not as much quality or togetherness in the squad as it was last season. This goes record since taking over, which includes preseason. Is played twelve, won one, drawn one, lost eleven. That includes pre-season. And now I know it's pre-season games, but pre-season games are there to build an identity. They're there to build uh, a squad togetherness and they're there to build confidence and form. And you haven't done that and you have not done it in the first four games either. So yes, yeah, it's, it's, it's not it's not great reading. I know well, our Wednesday fans are very vocal in their frustration with Chancery, to, you know, to put it politely in some of the chants they were, they, they were singing at the Cardiff game. So... Yeah, it's it's all stems down to Chancery, his poor running of the football club. I think Isco is a bit of a fall guy. He's in the face of the criticism for me, but considering that he doesn't know what to do with this squad, and that's a pretty obvious statement, you know, you've got to point the finger at some to some extent to him as well. Yeah, I was just uh, having a quick look to see who they did beat in pre-season, but it was non-league Chesterfield. So, you know, <laughs> I suppose I suppose that's a positive. Did draw with York City, though, um, if anyone was wondering. Um, yeah, I, I do feel a bit sorry for Isco because he is basically having to be the face of this absolute dumpster fire that is Sheffield Wednesday when he's not really at fault. No. Completely. He is at fault somewhat because I, I'm not sure he's that good a coach, but really all the fingers should be pointed at Depon Chancery. Look, it would be ridiculous to relegate a team after four games, but I'm looking at that squad, the manager, the way the club is run, and it's difficult to come up with many reasons as to why Wednesday will stay up. We're four games into a season. There's a long way to go and I get that. But right now I find Wednesday to be the side with the least to be encouraged about. And if we're making a pros and cons column what can we put in the pros i'm being serious here justin what mm. can we put in the pros i i put in there the players who got them promoted last season there were some good players in there like your josh windashers uh barry bannons liam palmers they have been better in the last two games as well there's undeniably an overwhelming number of negatives though and i think an awful lot has to drastically change quite quickly if they're going to stand any chance of staying up. You've got to also point out the fact that Wednesday had such a dramatic way of getting promoted. The the 4-0 deficit overturned in the semi-final and then the, the last-minute winner in extra time in the playoff final 
that is, there's a lot of momentum there to catapult you forwards and for that good feeling of a football club to to carry on. Chancery was engaging with fans as well, and then it just unraveled within a week. It felt like within a week, so quickly of all the issues with Darren Moore, then the, the squad's just not been added to. We've sort of been waiting week on week throughout the summer to the squad to improve. It just hasn't happened. Why is that? Why is that? We know there's a terrible football structure in place. We know that the fans have been overcharged for tickets and shirts, and I don't know what the food costs are, but I imagine. The pies aren't cheap if it's if anything else is to go by. So there's just a lot of going wrong at the football club, and it, it all stems to one man. He's either got to sell up, quite simply, got he's got you've got to sell up or employ people in charge uh, to put people in charge of the football club to to run it, and for you to step away and allow them to run it and allow the cl- club to thrive. Because until that happens, you're going down. It's simple. Yeah, hard to disagree. Cardiff's first win of the season. I think that goal is carrying a lot of weight because I was all ready to have a bit of a moan about Cardiff. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to do it anyway. Um, (laughs) Look, this is meant to be the new Cardiff City, right? A new era with the homecoming hero and Ramsey at the centre of it, the face of it and what have you. But I can't say I've watched Cardiff so far and thought this is a team going in the right direction again. They've beaten the worst team in the division at home thanks to a questionable late penalty. They were beaten at home by a team everyone's predicting to go down. They are two of the easiest games of the season and they struggled in both, those being against Sheffield Wednesday and QPR. Now, they did well against Leeds and Leicester, to be fair. We know with Errol Bullets that they're going to be organised offensively because that's how he likes to play and they probably will win some impressive points while he's in charge. But when it comes to winning games... I'm a bit worried from what I've seen so far about where those wins are going to come from. Because as I say, you've had two of your easiest games of the season already and you've won one and lost the other one and only just won that one at that. And that brings me nicely onto what I was saying a couple of weeks ago. If Cardiff have one win in their first 10 games, could Eric Bullock be in danger of getting sacked because of the heightened expectations of Cardiff fans that have been you know, put up because of the incomings that they've done this summer, Justin. It's hard to make an argument against that. And I know for the debate purposes, it would have been interesting for that to be the case, but they haven't started the season well. Um, they, were, they, they, they were fairly effective in the first 45 against Leeds in the first game of the season. I was impressed with how organised they were. Game management um, sort of left them in a bit uh, in the second half of that game and Leeds stepped up and they, and they crumbled under the pressure and then results and performances have been so-so since then. I can only argue the fact that Bullet is taking charge of a team that has been on a downward spiral for the last two, three seasons. Downward spiral for, for, for that long. Um, a mishmash of styles, a mishmash of managers and players that have come in under those managers. So he's got a lot of sweeping that needs to be done to then clear what is essentially... Uh, you know, a, a, you know, a cementless foundation. There's, there's nothing in those foundations yet, and he's got to build from the top. So, I think for me, you just got to find a little bit of time to to allow him to build. And you are right; if he doesn't win uh, more than one game in the first opening ten, then he's going to be under pressure. But you know, allow him to build. I wanted Steve Morrison to build; it didn't happen. Uh, but I think sacking Bullet after ten games, if results are poor, I think you're just going back to to, to what it was before. And I think Cardiff hopefully have turned a corner since then. 
Well, I'm not saying Bullock should be sacked. I yeah. fully accept that he's been put in a difficult position because of what I've been saying, where he's been drafted into this team and have been going in the wrong direction for so long now. He doesn't know the league particularly because he's never managed managed in it before. But I just worry that if results don't turn around soon, could we see Cardiff revert to the Cardiff that we've seen in recent seasons? Always a danger. I would not be surprised at all. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about a win for Southampton and also for Leicester. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back to the second tier podcast. The Southampton team who apparently can't hit a barn door, according to Justin Peach, have now scored two or more goals for the fourth game running after beating QPR 2-1. Glenn on Twitter says Southampton, clinical, clinical, clinical. They're one of now only two teams in the division to have double figures for goals. Justin, why don't they score more and have more of a cutting edge? I just don't get it. Oh, wow. That cutting edge really gets you far when you're conceding as many chances as they do. Yeah, the thing that annoyed me about this was that Southampton were fucking clinical. Um, They did take the very few chances they created in this game. But all credit to QPR, I thought they gave him a game and and created the better chances throughout that. I thought Gavin Bazunu had to be on top form, made some brilliant saves when 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 he needed to. But the same issues still arise. They cannot defend transitions. QPR were very effective. Uh, breaking forwards on counter-attacks and, and, and cause a few headaches from set pieces as well. So yeah, Southampton may have been clinical in this game, but big middle finger to everybody, you still didn't control it. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, it, when we were having our little debate in Thursday's episode, if you did come at me with the whole, they're not very good at defending thing, then I would have fully accepted that because <laughs> they haven't been very good at defending so far. And I don't... I think that's something they drastically need to improve on. But when you were coming at me with they don't have a cutting edge. and I still don't think they, they do. Well, why, Justin? What on earth are you basing this on? They've got the sec- they're the second highest top goal scorers in the division. They've got the second highest expected goals in the division. They've had the most shots in the division. Congratulations. How can they not have more of a cutting edge? Congratulations. If you create 100 shots and you only score and you score 10 goals, whereas everybody else has created 50 shots and they've scored eight goals, then, then for me, Southampton, based on all the creativity that they are putting in games, based on the possession that they have, and the control they're perceived to have, they should be putting teams to bed a lot earlier than they are and a lot more convincingly than they are, and they're not. And that's where the cutting-edge argument comes from. They're just not convincing me in the final third enough to me. And if they can't keep a clean sheet, they need to score a lot more than their opposition. And they've only been able to scrape through games so far. It might be in double-figure goals, but they've conceded a lot of goals as well. And they've only, been won, they've only won by one goal in each of their games so far. And they haven't played top dollar opposition yet and the one team they did play against who had a lot of quality in their team was Norwich and Norwich put four past them that's where the argument stands from 
Do they need to win by more than one goal, though, if they're more than happy to just hold on to the ball and just play piggy in the middle with the opposition? Because that's what they did against Sheffield Wednesday. And that's what they did against QPR as well. So do, do they need to score by more than one goal to um, to do that? Well, they struggled against Norwich. They, they struggled against Norwich and Norwich were a team that are going to be up there this season, aren't they? Based on what they put out so far, Norwich punished them and punished them severely. And so far, no disrespect to QPR, Plymouth or Sheffield Wednesday, but QPR and Sheffield Wednesday have been tipped to go down this season and Plymouth have just come up from League One. So if you're just scraping past these teams, you're not convincing the neutral, me, that you've got enough in you to, to last the season. And when you're selling players as well, the squad's getting weaker technically. I, I just, it just makes me raise my eyebrows. I think Martin will get it right eventually, but I've not been as convinced as many have uh, to their start to the season. I, I'll admit, I, I'm not as... Even though I was arguing their corner in midweek, I'm not a massive believer in Southampton just yet. I was just calling out your nonsense from midweek not about though, is the it? lack of a cutting edge. Well, I mean, every every stat pretty much points against you, Justin. So it's, no, 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 it well, doesn't. It, it does, doesn't it? Because it doesn't because <laughs> these are all stats that are based purely on the argument that Southampton are putting chances away. And you look at non-penalty conversion; it drops a lot lower. Than what it is, although this Doesn't game matter though if they're the second highest scorers in the division, Justin. <laughs> they might be the second highest scorers in the division, but how many goals are they conceded at the same time? You, you, it's well, just that's got nothing to do with the whole argument that you had in midweek. And as I say, if you were arguing against how poor they've been defensively, I wouldn't have much of an argument there because they have been poor defensively. But in terms of going forwards, they have been fine so far. And dominating possession has also been something that they have been able to do quite easily so it will be interesting to see how they do when they do come up against better opposition because I fully accept that so far you know Sheffield Wednesday and QPR two of the easier games they'll have mm. this season particularly with the way Sheffield Wednesday played um, so as the season goes on things may be a bit different but we'll have to wait and see on that front Carlos Alcaraz had Woody from Toy Story on his shirt under a shirt why? we need answers why? 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 I wonder if he's got a name on the bottom of his boot as well. That'll be interesting. That'll, yeah. that'll be a good idea. That'll be a really good goal celebration. Why hasn't somebody done that before? Unbelievable. Southampton sit fourth on 10 points with a few other teams. QPR 19th with three points to the name. Leicester have won their first four games of a season for the first time in club history. They came from a goal behind to beat Rotherham 2-1. They've also become just the seventh team in championship history to have a 100% record after four games. Greg says, still not in full flow just yet. Little Nap says, Piss the league. Um, <laughs> the thing is, I'm not sure there's been a team who have won four games in a row and looked so unconvincing doing so. What do you think, Justin? Yeah, just going to throw that out there. It's probably a bit harsh for several reasons. Here's, here comes a Derby klaxon. Derby did it in 2011-2012 and they played against Blackpool. Blackpool battered us. I think Watford had 11 shots on target in the game that we beat them 1-0. So there's there's a more unconvincing team, but I do agree. Okay. I do agree to the um, to the sentiment that yes, Leicester have got to this hundred percent record without blowing teams away yet, and it's probably going to be the case when you're this early on in your, in a new regime under Maresca with the new team and the, the turnover of players that they've had. Um, but they were 
there are bright sparks and there are control to the games as well. The games have been even and then Leicester have taken control late. That's been the trend of, of all four games, all four wins so far. So yeah, whilst um, whilst they haven't fully convinced, they have been they have been okay. And may we remind ourselves that Scott Parker proved you can win games and win promotion whilst being really shit. So surely Maresca, if he does that, we won't mind. And he doesn't wear crap cardigans either, so he's got a he's got a one up there on Scott Parker. Yeah, I suppose. Um, look, they've scored more goals after 75 minutes than any other team in the championship. And this game against Rotherham was the first game they've won the XG battle this season. It's worth mentioning that Rotherham had a goal ruled out early on and I'm still not really no, sure, not sure either. what that was for. They're 14th in the XG table too. So from a general bystander perspective, you may look at Leicester and think they've already started to blitz the league, but that's just not been the case. They've been made to work for each win that they've had. Ultimately, I think the individual brilliance that they've had has shone through in games. And I do think that's only going to continue. I'm not massively concerned, I've got to say. I still think it's just part of the process with them getting used to how Enzo Maresca wants to play. And we won't see them in top gear until October at the very earliest. Right now, I'm not sure they're even in second gear and they've still won every game. And that's quite a scary thought with how good this Leicester team could be once they start to move through the gears a bit more. So alternatively, it could be a false dawn. Who really knows? But I, I, I tend to think that considering the amount of talent that there is in this Leicester team and how early on it is in the Enzo Maresca era, then we should see a lot more of a... A lot more of this Leicester team as the weeks go on. Mm-hmm. A great day as well for young Casey McAteer, the 21-year-old scoring twice here. Certainly been given a lot of faith by Enzo Maresca. Did you say he's he was only eight when he joined the Leicester Academy as well, Justin? Yeah, he's been there since he was eight years old. So, you know, a lot like Kern and Dewsbury Hall, really good catchment area, clearly. Uh, and there's a a commitment there for these youngsters to, to, to break through. And I think there's a couple more. You've got with Alves as well, who's another who, if he comes back from injury, could be a, a real talented player. So yeah, that's um, yeah. Big, big props to Casey McAteer for his performance. Because his goal was brilliant as well. Yeah. Well, he's got two, isn't he? Both goals yeah, are Second really goal. Yeah. Yep. A team who could be going a bit under the radar are Preston North End. They've now had their best start to a championship season since 2008 after beating Swansea 2-1. Three wins and a draw for North Ends. They've had a great start, haven't they, Justin? They have, they have. I had them down as my underachievers as well, and so far they are surpassing my expectations a you little bit. Like out, but... Yeah, but let's be honest. Ah, oh, No, I don't want to criticise them. I will say that their attack is still a lot to be desired because they didn't create too many chances in this game, but I can see the endeavour that it is there. It was a relatively poor flat first half, but they cranked it up in the second Big thumbs up. And then you look at the winning goal from Dwayne Holmes. There were seven players in the box. So there's clearly an attacking intent from that team. Just the quality needs to needs to catch up with that as well. And I don't think that's going to happen until you bring in a few more players, which might might be the case once uh, well, between now and the end of the window. So yeah, I have been I have been really impressed with with Ryan Lowe and Preston so far because they've they've managed games really well. But it's just that creative creative aspect that that not really impressed me so far. I think that would be the, the key difference between the, the, the two variables for, for Press and Rhino. Hmm. Yeah, the three wins have been a bit ugly, haven't they? Mm. Not outstanding performances by any means. 
I am seeing good signs with Preston though. They're still looking really solid at the back, just like they were last season. That's really important. I've been impressed with the new signing, Mads Frockyai Jensen. He's caught the eye in a Preston shirt. 18-year-old Kian Best has had a promising start as well. So it's been a it's been a great first few games of the season. I'd be amazed if they continue the form that they've shown and maintain a lofty position in the table, but you know, we rate Ryan low really highly as a manager, don't we? So it's good to see him you know, getting results on the board. I imagine he'll be absolutely delighted if they sign a couple of players before the window closes, particularly a striker, because I know they've been chasing uh, one in particular all summer who's got a cannon of a right foot. A uh, 95th minute winner from the debuting Jay Stansfield saw Birmingham beat Plymouth 2-1. What a goal as well. The little flick and then that finish, brilliant. The 20-year-old Looks like he could be an exciting signing, Justin. Yeah, it really kind of, I think, fair play as well because he comes from Plymouth's biggest rivals in Exeter. He's from Devon. So a 90th minute winner on his debut for his new club. Very, very good day for, for Jay Stansfield. I think as well, it's not goal of the season. It's not goal of the season contender, but composure of the season. Surely has got to be a thing because the composure to do what he did to, to bring it down, to touch it round the defender and then to execute the volley to near perfection. That's as, as composed as you can get in the 90th minute. We, we should make that an award. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can see definitely why you're coming from because when he's just 20 years old as mm. well, it's very easy to completely fluff that up, isn't it? And he did not do that at all. He absolutely <laughs> hammered it home. Um, but he scored nine goals and got seven assists on loan at Exeter last season. It's been well known that Birmingham have been after a striker pretty much all summer and he could be exactly what they need. 16 goal contributions last season for a 20-year-old is really promising. So his finishing numbers were impressive. And if he can be a provider again this season, like he was at Exeter, that'll be absolutely brilliant. So it looks like he could be something of a final piece of a puzzle there. Striker was the one position they sorely needed to add to. And they've got someone who was interested in quite a few clubs. They managed to win the race in that regard. So looks a really exciting young player. Could be a great move for all parties involved because Birmingham got high hopes this season. Stansfield needs to make that step up to the championship. Could be a really good move for everyone. <coughs> a Ryan Hedges goal saw Blackburn win 1-0 away at Watford. This was a beautiful goal. Going past the player. The two keepy-uppies before smashing it past the keeper. Absolutely beautiful. But the truth is, it came so against a runner play. This really was a... Proper smash and grab, wasn't it? Watford have now failed to score since smashing four pass QPR on the opening weekend. And I'm not sure how they didn't at least score in this game, let alone win it. They, they worked some really good opportunities. I thought Tom Ince came on and had a really good impact as well. In terms of getting the ball into good areas, I think the commentators said during the game that Mateus Martins had more shots on goal than Blackburn did throughout the game, which is an incredible stat. But it just goes to show that you know, there are positives to take from the performance from a Watford perspective in, in that they were getting into good areas. They were um, they, they were creating some good shooting shooting angles, just lacked that little bit of, I wouldn't say cutting edge because I've used it several times already in this episode, but it is essentially that. It's that ability to, to be clinical, to make that decisive decision on when you're going to pull the trigger or when you're going to square it. There were just, just moments like that. And I think... You get then done by a, essentially a long ball and then composure of the season. We just talked about with Jay Stansfield, but Ryan Hedges deserves a mention for his his composure as well. You get done by that 
just just suggests that it's not going to be your day. But there are positives there for Watford. But unless you're getting wins, that pretty much outweighs positives in a defeat, doesn't it? If you're not going to win the game. Yeah, well, the lack of goals has got to be a concern. I, I think there were signs here that it's only a temporary problem because Matthias Martins looked very lively. I mean, he nearly scored a goal of the season, yeah. didn't he? With <laughs> that one from the edge of the box where he smashed against the bar. That was unbelievable. At new signing, Mileta Rajevic, he's a big boy. Um, he looks like someone who is very much a Valerian Ishmael kind of striker. And <laughs> I think Ishmael has been waiting for someone like him to come through the door. So... We'll wait and see with him. I mean, defensively, they've been great. I think I'm right in saying they've got the best conceded expected goals in the division. They've conceded the fewest number of chances in terms of expected goals. It's just going forward to where the problems have arisen. And I don't think it's strictly not putting away chances or not creating enough. I think it's a mixture of both. And maybe once the transfer window is closed and Ishmael knows the cards that he's got, things may improve. Maybe mm-hmm. in an ideal world, he will want to play the, you know, three four three, which we're very used to with Valerian Ishmael. Maybe he doesn't. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's certainly got to be a bit better because that's the obvious bit where Watford need to impress or improve rather. Millwall got back to winning ways with a one nil win over Stoke. Kevin Nisbet getting his first goal in a lion shirt, and this was a classic. Gary want it score in the first half. Sit on it. Not the prettiest of victories, but it's effective, and I suppose that's why he's had a very long and successful-ish career at this level. <laughs> uh, anything on this game, Justin, that you want to add? A friend of the show, Ben Rowley, tweeted that um, Gary Rowley had been put on the earth to make Stoke fans miserable, and I couldn't agree more. His record against Stoke is is incredible. He's lost one in nine since becoming Millwall manager. Uh, Maybe the key to unlocking promotion a uh, promotion winning team at the den is to play Stoke every week. I know it's impossible, but you know there's there's clearly a foundation there. So yeah, it, was, it made me it made me laugh. Yeah, I was looking at that when I picked Stoke as my outsider <laughs> in midweek. I, I had a quick look at Gary Rowett's record against his old teams, and it's really really good. Um, which will be much to the annoyance of Stoke fans. Oh, bloody hell, Birmingham fans, Derby fans. He's had a few clubs now, and he. But uh, yeah, he uh, he he he's a stubborn lad, isn't he? And when it comes to <laughs> coming up against his old teams, I'm sure he uh, puts in that extra one percent effort. Um, Coventry v Sunderland ended goalless. Probably should have won this one. Should Coventry rumple Stiltskin for Sunderland? Said no centre forward. Still a big problem for them, into that's something that needs to be remedied this week. Uh, Joe, who's a Coventry's fan, said just needs time. I agree with that. And finally, on Friday night, Hall won, Bristol City won. Don't know how Bristol City didn't win this. Hall, uh, Hall fan Leighton says, we take the draw. And yeah, why not? Now it's time for this. Yes, it's time for the news. And Southampton made a double signing on Friday, but a big player has gone out the door. Mason Holgate and Ryan Fraser have both come in, while Nathan Teller has moved to Bayer Leverkusen in a £20 million deal. I think we can both agree Teller going is a big blow, Justin, particularly for me after predicting him to be top goalscorer at the beginning of the season. Don't need to spend much time discussing that because it is a big blow undeniably. But what have you made of the Holgate and Fraser signings? I like the Fraser signing because he's... He's got a lot of qualities. He's a direct winger. He's going to be an asset to the squad, no doubt, over the course of the season. Mason Holgate, I do worry about 
Southampton may be lacking aerial dominance in, in, in their back line. I know it was an issue again with Russell Martin at Swansea. Didn't have the aerially dominant, aerially dominant defender. Holgate certainly doesn't fit that um, criteria, but he's a, he's a versatile defender. He's composed. He's comfortable with the ball at his feet. So he fits the style in that sense. Just don't know how good he is because he's been a squad player for virtually five years, five or six years. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see how he fits in. Well, I think Holgate's a very good defender. I'm not sure whether he's good enough on the ball because over the last two seasons, his passing accuracy has been 66%. Yeah, but it's, that's under Frank the... Lampard and Sean Dyche. It's good to bear that in mind. Well, I was going to say that might not be down to, that may just be down to the managers that he's had in that time, but it may take a bit of time for him to transition from that and go into a system where he's got to be good on the ball. But nonetheless, he's been in the bottom 2% for passing accuracy compared to other Premier League centre-halves. To be fair, I also looked at his data from when he was last in the championship and he seemed fine with it then. So maybe it's something not to be too worried about. Ryan Fraser's barely played a game in the last year after falling out of favour with Eddie Howe at Newcastle. So hard to really say where he's at as a player now. I think it's interesting that these two signings aren't really the kind of players Southampton usually go for because since the start of the last season, they've mainly just Mm. signed young lads with sell-on value, haven't they? So... Maybe this is them saying we could really do with getting promoted this season. <laughs> well, I think that's it, isn't it? They've they've gone for two players who are going to take up a big chunk of the budget. But as you say, they they've got pedigree playing at the top, in the top flight. They've both experienced a championship. Obviously, Mason Holgate was on loan at West Brom when they got into the playoffs, and Ryan Fraser was part of the Bournemouth squad that got promotion. Although that was a long time ago now, so. Yeah, they've got pedigree. I think they've got experience, which is going to add a, a lot to a squad that that probably needs it, especially under Russell Martin, who's also relatively inexperienced himself. Interestingly, Martin said Ryan Fraser isn't a replacement for Nathan Teller and they want to bring in someone else. So watch this space. Mm-hmm. Leeds have signed Swansea striker Joel Pirro in a deal worth more than £10 million. The Dutchman had been linked with numerous clubs throughout the summer and had just a year left on his Swansea contract. What do you think of this move, Justin? I, I love the move. I, I really, really do enjoy Joel Pirro. I think stylistically, maybe not suited to the Fox system, but he adds a really interesting element to it. I had their formation against down uh, against it, which has a four four two. But looking at Pirro, he's probably still going to make it a four two three one because he's a bit of a ramdoiter, isn't he? He likes to find space and hurt opposition in in that space, and he, he did that against it on occasion. Did it a lot for Swansea. So yeah, he's, he's a really good option. He's going to score goals. So. And Swansea fans, it's, it's a big blow for Swansea, isn't it? But they get a chunk of money, so it's a win-win there. But I, I really like the signing. He's, he's going to hit double figures quite quite easily. We know we know that. Yeah, I think Joel Pirro is an excellent signing for Leeds. Over the years, they have somewhat lacked a striker, haven't they? A consistent mm. goal scorer. And I think Joel Pirro is exactly what they've needed for a long time now. I mean, think back to when they got promoted initially, Justin. How many goals would Joel Pirro have scored if he was <laughs> in Patrick Bamford's shoes when Bamford was missing so many chances in that promotion season? Could have been a very different story if Joel Pirro was a time traveller who was available for Leeds back then. But you see my point. He scored 22 goals in his first season, 19 goals last season. Since the start of the 21-2022 season, only Alexander Mitrovic has scored more goals than him, which does say a lot about how ridiculous Mitrovic's tally was in that one season. (laughs) But you see my point. Yeah, I think Pirro's a top-class signing for Leeds. It's no surprise that he's been linked with Premier League clubs as well and all the teams who came down 
all showed an interest in him. So the fact that Leeds have got him for 10 million as well, I think that's an absolute bargain for someone so young. Mm. He could be an unbelievable signing for Leeds. And I don't know if you'll allow me this, Justin, but with Nathan Teller now going to uh, Germany and he was my top goal scorer pick at the start of the season, am I allowed to now swap that with Joel Pirro? No, 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 no. You'd never allow me this sort of wiggle room. So absolutely not. Go fuck yourself. No. All right. Well, I'm going to change it anyway. I don't care what you say. Um, Hull are set to announce the signing of Jaden Philogene from Aston Villa for a fee reported to be around £5 million. You're a big Jaden Philogene fan, aren't you, Justin? Yeah, I do like him. I do like him. But I just maybe think that Hull are probably overpaying a little bit. He's an exceptional player. He's great in 1v1s and he grew into Cardiff season last season. I do like the signing, but just not the fee. But you know me, I'm tight. I make Daniel Levy look reckless with his money. So can you imagine me as a football owner? It's, it's yeah, I'm, I wouldn't pay maybe over two, two and a half million pounds for him. But then again, I'd probably lose out to him, uh, to, our, to another club. But yeah, he's going to add a nice dimension to that whole attack for sure. Well, the thing is, Villa have apparently just looked at the amount of money they've been offered and said, that's too much money for yeah. us to turn down, which I think is completely fair uh, because it is a lot of money for someone who's had a fairly unremarkable couple of seasons in the championship so far. But at the same time, I look at him and think, he's still very young. What is he, 21, 22? Yeah, yeah. He's still got a lot of growing room as a player. And last season at Cardiff, wasn't outstanding, but I certainly saw a player in there and maybe it would have helped if he had a better team around him. But I think this could be an exceptional signing for Hull. When we were talking before about the Scott Twine signing, and I was listing um, the front three of Hull, of Liam Delap, Scott Twine. And then I said someone else on the right-hand side. That's because I was going to say Jaden Philogene, but I realised he hadn't signed yet. <laughs> um, but that front three is quite exciting. And all of a sudden, I think Hull's team is looking quite well-rounded. I was a bit concerned at one point about it, maybe yeah, leaving yeah. a bit more. But there's a lot of potential in that Hull team, particularly with this signing. And while they have spent a fair bit of money on him, I think it could be well worth the risk. So I'm a fan of the signing and, you know, maybe Villa wouldn't have sold if they didn't get offered this much money. And it's a big sign of ambition from Hull, who were looking a bit quiet in the transfer window previously. Now that's not really the case. Away from transfers and Darren Moore insists his departure from Sheffield Wednesday had nothing to do with his salary. Speaking to Sky Sports, he said it was more to do with transfer plans over the summer. It comes after the owner, Depon Chanceri, claimed Moore wanted four times his salary. Don't know about you, Justin. I find Darren Moore to be a bit more trustworthy than <laughs> Depon Chanceri. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a strange one. I maybe would argue there's truth in both of what they're saying. I think Moore has probably responded to Chancery's expectations and said, well, pay me more and put more into the squad then. That sort of thing. Not to suggest that Darren Moore would have accept, uh, asked for four times his salary, but if you're going to want to be in charge of a club competing to get into the top six, then surely your salary should reflect that. That's my argument. That being well, exactly. said... Yeah, no, Justin, I think that's a completely fair point. And oh, I think yeah. that's exactly what Darren Moore will be saying, that... I don't know if he did ask for it or not, but if he did, he's just got Wednesday promoted. He's worth yeah. it, isn't it? Well, exactly. It's, it, from, from my perspective, again, I've just said I'm tight, so I'd be tight as an owner, but I would commit myself to a manager who's just exceeded expect well not exceeded expectations but I think they broke a points record tally in, in League One by getting the amount of points he did. Just very unfortunate there were two teams ever so slightly better than them throughout the course of the campaign. 
so you've got to you've got to, you've got to take that as, as as a positive and think. Well, if you can cultivate that sort of atmosphere, then maybe we can grow into becoming a promotion winning team under this manager. So yes, I will commit to you. I will pay you that money, but you have to deliver. And if you don't deliver, we part ways. More never got that opportunity, and Wednesday aren't exactly reaping the rewards of that decision, are they? Now, so yeah, it's a frustrated. All it does is highlight the massive frustration of Chancery and how poor only is. Well, you're not wrong. Um, I think you look at the transfer business that Wednesday have done this summer. Um, I think Darren Moore has shown that he was right to leave the club, hasn't mm. he? Because if Chancery was looking at top six and this is the transfer business that he thinks is good enough to get top six, then you'd have to be a bloody good manager to make that happen. And oh, well, it's just completely unrealistic, isn't it? So completely understandable why more is left. And I mean, Chancery is a clown. It always comes back to that, doesn't it? And finally, we finish the news section with this incredible story about Sunderland's Luco 9 saving the life of a dog. He was on a beach when a Labrador went into the sea. O9 then started pumping its chest until it coughed up the water and got up. Incredible. I, I think... <laughs> He might already be one of my favourite players in the division for being a massive shit house, anyway, Justin. But also turns out he's a lifesaver for dogs. Yes, I don't really know how to respond to the story because it is just incredible. Like you, you, you can play right back, centre back, centre mid, left back, anywhere else. Luke nine, you can play anywhere, and also you can save the lives of animals. So you're clearly first aid trained. So what is there not to like about Luke nine? Yeah, what is there that he can't do? He can play anywhere on the pitch, as you say. He is a lifesaver. He's now essentially a fully qualified vet. It's just <laughs> remarkable, isn't it? A fully qualified uh, vet. No, no, in Luco 9, I assume that as soon as the dog got to its legs, he just instantly two-footed it afterwards. But, you know, <laughs> what an incredible man. It's, it's, honestly, if there's any player in the division who I would just love to... Go on a night out with. I think it's probably Luco Nikes. I bet he's absolutely fucking crackers. Maybe not even crackers, but just a just a good laugh to be around. Like, I, he's, he's he's good banter. He's not too harsh with his banter. He's, he's quite nice of it. And if he does offend you, he'll, he would apologise. Even though he does come across as a bit of a shit house, but I do think he would apologise if he did offend you by accident with maybe being a bit overzealous with some of his banter. Because you know we, we're all like it. You know we we all say mean things when we're, we're doing it. But I just think Luco Nine will do it with a smile on his face. And you can't be angry at him. And if you start choking on your food, he's the man. Exactly. What a man to be around. If you get into a confrontation on the night out, he'll just two foot someone. Win-win. Also signed a new contract this week, as far as weeks go. I did not realise that. That's incredible. (laughs) This story completely overtook that. (laughs) (laughs) Incredible. Uh, Let's do the polls. This is the part of the show where we give the listeners three questions on Twitter because we want to get their thoughts on everything to do with the championship. So the first question we asked was this. Who's had the best transfer window in the championship so far? Birmingham, Hall, Stoke, someone else? I would argue Birmingham, Stoke are a close second. I think it's got to be Birmingham, and I think Hall. The way they're going, they may be ending, a re- maybe having a really promising end to it. I think Plymouth also deserve a shout as well. But thirty-nine percent of people said Birmingham, twenty-five percent said somebody else. Uh, other people who have been mentioned: Leeds. Didn't expect that one to be mentioned. Uh, Cardiff City, Norwich. Mm. Mm, yeah. Mm. Um, Hall got 21%, Stoke 15%. Who's had the worst transfer window? Huddersfield, Middlesbrough, Rotherham, somebody else. 
Huddersfield is a maybe argue Middlesbrough because you look at the talent that they've lost on loan and the money that they've gone for. It's a big old chunk to replace, but I'd argue maybe Wednesday, Sheffield Wednesday, you've got to throw in there as well. 54% of people said Middlesbrough. I agree, actually. I think Sheffield Wednesday deserve a shout. Uh, somebody said Sunderland, which, I mean, still not got a striker. Under the radar. Which is, which is yeah. a big issue, isn't it? 21% uh, said Huddersfield. 15% said Rotherham. 10% said somebody else. And finally, what's the better half of England, North or South? North. It's cheaper and the food's nicer. And London is a... Uh, I always get ill when I come back from London. Well, just in, there's, there's more to the south than London, you silly man. Yeah, that, that is true. That is true. There is Dorset and Devon. That's about it, really. Well, we're both Midlanders, aren't we? So we're completely impartial here until Justin, you know, oh, yeah. ruined My the bad. game. Um, the results were 66% of people said North, 34% said South. So there you go. Now it's time for this. Hi, Simon Grayson Edge. Yes, it's time for Simon Grayson's Hateful Eight. So Justin is going to ask me to name eight of a certain subject. All I've got to do is name all eight. So for example, if he would say, name Steve Bruce's last eight clubs, and I would say Villa, that's one down. Then Newcastle, that's another down. But if I were then to say Weymouth, then I'd lose a life. So all I need to do is give all eight answers. What's the question, Justin Peach? And how many lives are you giving me, you bastard? <laughs> me? I, I'm, I'm not giving you lives. It's Simon Grayson, we should know this. So direct your hate elsewhere. Uh, you've moaned and we've been and you've shown how bitter you can be so given that you've lived in Norfolk you own a Norwich City shirt and you have an unhealthy obsession with their rivals you should get this one so I want you to name their last eight top goal scorers in the championship players who have managed multiple seasons only count as one how many seasons sorry uh, well it goes what, oh what you mean the... in top goal scorer in a season yes yeah, so top goal scorer Fine, in one okay. season yeah yeah um, and uh, Simon Grayson, I think, is informing that you'll get two lives. Mm, okay. Okay, fine. I think this is quite tricky, but I mean, Timo Pukki's got to be on there. Yep, Timo Pukki is on there. He got scored 30 and 26 in 2018, 19 and 2020, 2021. Yeah, he had a few, didn't he? Next up, I'll go with... Oh, God, you, I think you've got to go quite far back now to go to ignore any Timu Puki years. I'll, I'll go Nelson Oliveira because I remember him scoring quite a few. He's not on the list. You've lost a life. Wow. Okay, fair enough. That's quite surprising. Um, I think this is easier than you're making out. <laughs> wait, so what What am I looking for? The, the top score, the top, top Norwich's top goal scorer in a season. In a season? In yeah. a season. Right, that's yeah, why I thought season. Nelson Oliveira would definitely be on there. No. Since when, sorry? Well, it goes back to the earliest season is 06, 07. But you should get it. You should get it. Grant Holt. Correct. 23 in 2012, 2013. That's two down. Cough, hmm. cough, last season. Cough, cough, last season. Mm-hmm. Josh Sargent? Correct. 13. Yeah. Yeah, sorry, I completely forgot about him. Mm-hmm. Um, no, that makes sense. Um, right, okay. So, who else played for Norwich? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I tell you what, a, a good one will be from when they got promoted before, which I'm guessing would be Cameron Jerome. 
Correct, 16 in 2016, 2017, but it's not when they got promoted, so... Ooh, really? It's irrelevant, but you are right. Um, how many of them are strikers? Were you... They're all strikers, bar one. All strikers, mm-hmm. bar one. Interesting. See, I'm half tempted to throw it at Bradley Johnson because I think he scored a few, but I, I'm going to avoid him for now because if they're mainly all strikers, maybe I'll just aim for them. Um, who else is blue? I mean, Jamie Curitan, is he on there? Oh my God, you've got Jamie Curitan. Yes, he is on there. 14 in 2007-2008. That is the hardest one on there. Really? Okay. That is the hardest one How many one on got there. left? Three left. You've got, uh, sorry, I'm going to count. It's going to take 10 minutes. One, two, three left. You've got three left. Mm. Are any of them from the Premier League era? Uh, No, they're not actually. Come on, time's a ticking. You've got one life left. Yeah, I know it is. Um, But I'm struggling to come up with... Many more, to be honest. A player was sold straight. Well, two players were sold straight after these incredible seasons and one player was on loan. Mm. On loan, you say? Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to have to tap out here because I'm a... Just make a guess. Go I'm out swinging. struggling quite significantly. Just swing um... a punch. Ricky Van Wolfswinkel. Incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> The players you were missing were James Madison. He scored 15 in 2017-18. He's the midfielder. In 2008-2009, there was Leroy Lita. He scored seven. Bloody hell. He only spent three months there. <laughs> uh, and the other player was Rob Earnshaw. He scored 19 in the 06-07 season. You know what? I'm happy with that. I don't think I would have got them in a million years. So I'm happy with five out of eight there, I think. Horrendous, horrendous. Just goes to show that maybe my youngest goal scorers in Championship history wasn't too too bad. You're just shit at this. Mm, I do think that was still absolutely horrendous and no one was going to get that in a million years. But nonetheless, that's been Simon Grayson Take for Late. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks and that's been Justin Peach. We'll be back again on Thursday to do a preview episode of all the games which are coming up next weekend. So we bloody look forward to seeing you then. We don't do this very often, but as always, if you could leave us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on, it helps us go a long way when it comes to growing as a podcast. Uh, any reviews or comments as well, very helpful. So please send them our way. And we look forward to seeing you soon. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Second Tier is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network.